kick this episode off by letting you in on a little podcaster secret. Maybe maybe I shouldn't be telling you, maybe the guild of podcasters will be mad at me, but we don't always record our intros like in a really nice Joe Rogan-esque studio. Matter of fact, sometimes we record them in the back seat of our Volvo sedan, like I am right now, because I'm on the road and I don't have access to my really nice 4,000 square foot recording studio. So yeah, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, Volvo style, <laughs> where we're just trying with your help to make the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. I am your host, Todd Brilliant, and today I'm joined by filmmaker, writer, actor, and, and meditation coach, Christopher Soren Kelly. Christopher has a brand new sci-fi movie out. It's brand new. It's a gem. It's definitely Super Nice Club approved. It's called The Tangle. The Tangle. And you're going to watch it, which is cool, because you, I think, I think you will, I hope, I, you will. You'll love the hyper-smart, cool concept, the, the gold star dialogue, and the five-star acting. Got to quantify this stuff, right? Uh, maybe you'll hate it. Maybe you're more of a, a water world or wrinkle in time type, which is cool. You know, I'm just saying, maybe stretch your taste buds a bit here and check out The Tangle. Uh, I think when it comes to directing, I'm picking Kelly over, say, DuVarnay every single time. Love to hear your take, though. Reach out. Get a hold of me. Uh, okay, so in this episode, we talk about the new movie. We talk about what it takes to launch a major project when you don't have major resources. I think whether or not you're making a movie, a big excuse for fulfilling a project or a dream, you know, for not fulfilling them is, I don't have, you know, X, Y, or Z. It could be money, it could be time, whatever. And you may not, but you have other things. So triple down on what you've got. Get creative and just get it done. Christopher is also, and this is cool, he's also a meditation teacher, like I said. He knows a bit about breath work, uh, and in all of his work, he's searching, exploring, sussing out the mysteries, if you will. And that, to me, is a super nice way of moving through life. I hope you enjoy our talk. Uh, I try not to veer off the rails this time, and I think uh, we pretty much stay on point. So you're welcome. I'm getting better at this. Uh, while I have your earballs, I want to remind you that nothing is cooler, nothing is cooler than you wearing a super nice club hat or shirt. If you're a mean person, or even like a mediocre person with a nasty streak, you can cover that right up with a stay nice shirt or a colorful Founders Edition hoodie. <laughs> the most salesy I've ever been. I like it. Just fake it till you make it, folks. Just so head over to our website, superniceclub.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Clubhouse, all that. But however you connect with us, just know that doing so makes you a member of the club. That's all it takes, which is super sexy. It is. It's really sexy to be a member of the Super Nice Club. If you're single and you tell people like that you're dating that you're in the Super Nice Club, dang, it goes a long way. Especially if you're wearing the hat. Just saying. This is the 67th episode of Nice Work. Uh, so here's some interesting, or not, tidbits about the number 67. Ready? Elton John had a song called Old 67. 
Um, I was at a hotel in Portland a couple years ago and picking up my car. And I said, what's this so, why is it all so busy? And the, the young girl, college girl, who was the valet said, I don't know, there's this, there's this concert, this guy, John Elton. She had no idea. Two years ago, Portland, Oregon, had no idea who Elton John was. I kind of loved it. I also kind of felt like an antique. Okay, uh, Drake released a song called Star 67, which could be a ripoff from Elton John, given that Drake, you know, pretty much rips off everything. I mean, that's his MO. It works for him. I'm not throwing shade. There are 67 judo throws in judo. Wait, I said judo twice. I don't know. Or three times. I've said judo a lot. It sounds nice. Judo. Reminds me of uh, Rugalak. But I'm bummed. Jewish humor? Jewish baking humor? Anybody? I don't know. It's kind of a rough setup. I kind of, I kind of fucked it up. Anyway. Uh, in angel numbers, 67 is a sign of positive progress, spiritual awakening, and advancement. Don't ask me what an angel number is. I didn't even know angels could read, let alone count. I mean, why would they need to? Angels are filled with divine wisdom and knowledge, right? And if you are, why would you ever read if you already know everything? What would be the need? What would be the need? Think about it. All right. I realize I don't know anything about angels, so I stopped recording in the Volvo. Uh, I did, and I did some Googling. And here's what I found out. Angels and ascended masters reside in the ascended realm beyond the material realm where all know themselves to be one with God and function as such and are referred to as God, small g. In the ascended realm, the angels and ascended masters are not bound by time and space and can be everywhere at once. They have dominion over materialism. They can manifest a body anywhere at any time in the material realm. What they think is manifest instantaneously because they do not think linearly but spherically. Got that? What they think is manifest instantaneously because they do not think linearly but spherically. <laughs> Thus... There can be no comparison between angel and human intelligence because the ascended realm consciousness is different than the material realm consciousness. The angels and ascended masters inspire all advances in human life, including science and technology. Okay? Angels inspire all advances in human life, including science and technology. So they definitely have no need of our simple, ignorant, limited mathematical concepts, theorems, numbers, meaning what? <laughs> meaning angel numbers aren't a thing. Now we know. I won't use them anymore. All right, let's do, let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to Nice Work with Christopher Soren Kelly. Christopher Chris Kelly, thanks for being on Nice Work. Good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Great. I'm great. This is my first ever podcast recorded in the beautiful town of Petaluma, California. Oh, I love Sonoma that. County. I do too. I used to live north of here in Santa Rosa and Healdsburg, and I always thought someday... Someday I'm going to live in Petaluma. It's pretty. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, and you're where are you at right now? Yeah, I did a Christmas there. I was actually writing another screenplay that Christmas. We did a Airbnb in Petaluma probably ten years ago. Is that something that you produced, or is that a screenplay that's, that's on the big pile? Budget screenplay that I have uh, yet to start pitching, but it's it's sitting there in my computer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a three, it's like a three hundred million dollar movie. So. You know, do you have a stack? Do you print them all out and put the brads through them so that you're like, these are the films that I've written? I should, but I do not because, I, yeah. It feels good. I've done it before. I haven't written that many, but it just feels good because each one's pretty thick. So it looks impressive. Legit. Yeah, no, yeah. it's good. It's a lot of work to do it. And then if you just leave it on your computer, it's like you never did it. So yeah, there's something to that. Okay, that's my super nice, right off the bat, this is my super nice challenge to you, Chris, is to print your scripts, stick them on a shelf somewhere, make them tangible. 
All right. Yeah. I've sort of been in that process the last few years. I've, I've published a couple of books that I'd written a while ago and, you know, just sort of like getting some tangible f- finished results from some of the projects. So I, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Awesome. So you're in LA right now, right? I am. Yep. Okay. Um, I want to just talk about a lot of things, but we're going to focus on a couple, the couple big things, which is you have a brand new movie, mm, The Tangle, yeah. which I have watched and rather enjoyed. Wouldn't have you on here if I didn't enjoy it. Let's be honest, right? What would be the point of that? Like, ah, I didn't <laughs> like your movie, but you're on the podcast. I uh, really enjoyed The Tangle. So let's talk about that. Um, and then let's also get into talking about your work as a, how do you frame it? Do you say a meditation teacher, teacher of mindfulness? What's your... Yeah, yeah, it's a, a meditation teacher. Yeah, it's it's more it's broader than mindfulness. So, mm-hmm. uh, so meditation is probably the best way to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like this this intersection of of writing and mindfulness. What's his name? Um, embodies it so well. Obviously, David Lynch, right? Hmm. Because he's he's so out there about his approach. Hmm. Um, but there's a lot of other ones too, including yours. So we're gonna we're gonna combine these two people. It's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be a great talk. So let's just jump right into the tangle. The tangle was released two weeks ago, a week ago. What's, what was the release date? No, no, it's been a while now. Uh, about maybe a month ago. Yeah, maybe a month ago. Okay. Yeah, a month isn't a while. Hey, <laughs> well, it feels like it. But my life, yeah, my life, uh, my life has a very high turn rate. So <laughs> it's streaming where. Uh, it's streaming on Amazon. It's streaming on Tubi. It's streaming on Google Play. Uh, well, streaming depends what people mean by that. It's to rent in uh, Amazon, to rent or buy on Amazon. Tubi is advertising based, so Google Play you can rent it or buy it. Cool. Well, tell us about it. What's 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 the movie? What's the genre? What's the story? The Tangle is like a sci-fi noir, um, maybe an art film sci-fi noir might be the best way to put it. Um, it's about the internet's gone into the air and it's sort of floating around in little nanobots that uh, connect us all up. We've all got a hard drive in our brain. Uh, it makes violence impossible. It makes us know everything immediately. Whatever's, you know, we have access to everything that's going on like that. Uh, I think in the movie it says you could know how many mites there are in a hare and a Sherpa, you know, in Tibet right now. So just because you've got little nanobots floating around and uh and then there's a murder that happens in this movie and it's it's a it's a murder mystery and it largely takes place sort of off the tangle with these these agents who are monitoring the tangle so they are sort of they are sort of um hermetically sealed off from the the world uh trying to solve this murder so it's a world without violence and yet and yet yet there's a murder yeah, this is it's it's a great setup. It's a great setup, everybody. And it's one of those movies where, at least when I was watching it, since it's a murder mystery, you're immediately going, okay. And there's there's a limited number of characters. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's a classic who done it. Like, who the fuck did this? You know, how did they do it? Even if you think you know who did it, the how is what's so enjoyable. And I don't I don't think that has anybody figured it out in advance? I don't know if it's possible to really figure this out in advance. It's it's that tightly wound and well done. I haven't had, I, maybe somebody was like, I, oh, what, no, only my family member, only a family member. A family member is like, they knew me well enough that they, they knew where, 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 what I would choose to, to make the, the so uh, the, no, no one else has really guessed it, I guess. Um, and the movie is, I mean, I think it should be stated. The movie is in your face linguistically and it's complex and it's challenging. So I'm not really, I don't, if I don't even care about giving away the ending because it's sort of that kind of movie where, it's going to be challenging to you intellectually for most people, 
no matter what. But um, the mystery twist is is not something people have guessed. Now, I'm not a big. Uh, I'm a bit. I love movies. I mean, yeah. I love movies. I've, I've I've seen a lot of movies, but I I'm not the kind of guy that can say, oh, so and so like can name drop all the actors and the directors and the producers and the grips and all that kind of stuff. Like you know, a lot of people can in L.A. So my references are usually pretty shallow and pretty dated. And oftentimes they're really wrong. But for me, that's my setup for this, folks. Uh, like the dialogue reminded me, not necessarily in content, but in, in the direction uh, like David Mamet 20 years ago, mm. these Mamet films where it was very stylized. Yeah. Um, stylized enough that you're like, whoa, this is stylized dialogue. Yeah. And so at first you have to kind of go, that's what's happening here. But then it's so enjoyable because it's so well done. It's a big risk to me. Like I was watching this, I'm like, damn, Chris is taking a big risk because if he can't write and these actors <laughs> can't act, this thing falls apart because it's all based on it, the whole, the movie happens pretty much in you know just a couple of settings. So if it, it exposes every flaw that could be there in terms of storytelling and and performance. Yeah. So you know I have to I have to give you credit for pulling it off and for also taking the risk of making a movie that uh, isn't going to please everyone, not because of the quality of the film, but just because it's a type of film that some folks are just be like, yeah, it's not my thing. You know, I want something that's more uh, obviously gratifying. Right. Yeah. It's so hard to make a movie. It's so hard to make a movie when you have no money. Uh, so if you're going to do it, you, I just feel like I, I want to make something that no one else would make. I want to make something that is an expression of the things I like the most. Uh, I want to make something that has a chance to sort of stand out in its own realm. And yeah, that means it's a movie that people are going to hate. You know, the, the big worry was you go to festivals and then people would be like, yeah, it was okay or whatever. But fortunately, there's people who really love it, love it to death. And uh, yeah, and there's people who just are like, what the hell was that? You know, um, and that's okay. I I'm, I'm really am okay with that. Obviously, you want, you know, as an artist, you want everyone to love it. But, but you know, all I'm asking for is is those people that really get it. And, um, and we took the risk. You know, you don't have any money. You can't win on big names. You can't win on big special effects. You got to win on stylistic, you know, artistic choices. And so... That's what we went for is just trying to make something that nobody else would make. And I, you know, I'm really happy with that, that outcome. And most of our reviewers, that's what they're, they're like. Oh, I haven't seen a movie like this. And I'm ha really happy with that. Yeah, you should be. I mean, who was it back in the 70s with uh, as a director made a name for himself and people? Oh, David Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. David Cronenberg, back in the day, you know, he didn't have budgets necessarily, but he had such a style. And, and his son is kind of doing similar things now. Um, and it gave him a name. I think, I think maybe I'm just being super hopeful for you, but I think this is the kind of film that will set you apart. And people will say, oh, you know, we need somebody to do that kind of thing. Hmm. It's, uh, it's Kelly. Except, you know. They're gonna know, they're gonna go in knowing that there's not gonna be any explosions or you know like naked laser robots or whatever. Right, right, right. I mean, Maybe I have nothing bit. against explosions or naked laser robots or anything like that. But um, I don't either. Yeah, we didn't have the budget for those, so we decided to do something more interesting. <laughs> what is it about science fiction as a genre that draws you in? I think I, what I always say is I'm drawn. I'm always drawn into things that have some fantastic element. I use the word fantastic because I like. Um, I like magic realism. I like fantasy. I like science fiction. 
where there's just something that's sort of um, expanding your vision of the way the world is, right? So just it's like we, we all just walk around thinking we know the world we live in, and we don't. We don't know it at all. Stories can give you that experience of going, oh, yeah, I don't really – like the world's bigger than I thought, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. science fiction is one great way to do that is just go, well, the world could be like this in two years, you know, who knows, you know? <laughs> I was drawn to it as a kid because, you know, my mom and I were, we moved around so much, so much that I had kind of an ungrounded childhood and science fiction and fantasy were just this safe place. Mm. You know, they made all these different stories, but it was still the same sort of like feeling you get into reading these books. And it's a familiar sort of safe feeling. Uh, I think a lot of people get that. And so uh, I feel the same way when I watch the films, the good ones. The good ones give me a real great sense of comfort, even if they're wildly dystopian, you know, disturbing. Right. Um, they still they still give me comfort. Oh, it's interesting. I moved around a lot as a kid as well. Um, I think as a kid, I thought I liked it, but... Um, but I was definitely a big sci-fi reader at the same time. I don't know if those are related. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, It's the, uh, I think the characters in a lot of the sci-fi books also have, and these end of fantasy books, who was the guy that I read a lot? They're all on adventures, right? So they're all on adventures and they're usually getting kicked out of their safe world. Right. And a lot of times they're younger people, right? I mean, look at what is it? um, Harry Potter and all that, right? Shitty upbringing gets to be Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, you know, the C.S. Lewis books, all that kind of stuff. Narnia. So real quick, folks, just stop for a second. Uh, I w- just stop listening to the podcast or just pick up your phone or a sheet of paper and write down right now. I want you to write down three words and a reminder, which is just watch the tangle. Mm-hmm. All right. I want you to watch it, support a fellow Super Nice Club member by watching the film. And just I love to hear what you think, even if it's not your thing. I'd love to hear what you think, like why it wasn't. So if, if you watch the tangle, post something up, tag us. Tag, tag Chris uh, just with your thoughts on the film would be great. Uh, if you love the film and you tag it up, I'll send you some stickers in the mail, old fashioned. They'll have stamps on the, on the envelope for my dad's old stamp collection. So it'll be very, it'll be a very real connection to the super nice club. So starting with watching the tangle. All right. Three words, watch the tangle. Just, just do it tonight. It's not that long. What is it? 90 minutes? A uh, hundred minutes. Yep. It's a hundred minutes of your life. That's with credits. You don't have to watch the credits. Yeah, you don't have to watch the credits. But you might want to watch the credits because there's some actors in here. You'll, you'll, when you watch it, you'll understand what I'm saying. Joshua Baton yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Um, your lady comrade, Jessica, uh, who is a Super Nice Club uh, podcast guest, Jessica Graham. You do you're, – you're okay. You know, Thank you. You're, yeah. they, they hold you up. You know, your fellow actors hold you up. No, yeah. you're great. And who was Francesca? Nicole da uh, Silva. Nicole da Silva. She's fantastic. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in the film is great. So yeah. this is a small budget film with great acting. I, I could go on and on in my, my uh, admiration for what you've done here. Do you find creatively when you're writing the script, are you, are you thinking in terms of budget ever? Well, yeah. I mean, in this case, I mean, you know, I have scripts that I've written that are, yeah, that are much bigger budget and the intention is to sell them. And then I don't think about it. I just like whatever happens. But um, with uh, this script, it was intentionally written very quickly, in fact, with the intention of making it soon after. So it was, in fact, I was writing another script. I I knew I wanted to make a feature. We'd done three shorts. They'd all done really well at the festival circuit. And uh, we're really proud of them. And we're like, okay, it's time to make a feature. I was writing another feature and the script's 
started getting just a little too big budget in my mind. I was like, I don't know if I can raise that money. So I switched gears and, and wrote this one entirely with the budget in mind. And a lot of the plot structure, you know, does come from going, okay, we're going to want minimal locations, you know, we're going to need to do minimal special effects, minimal sets, you know, we, we have to think that way. And what, what can I do that will make it stand out? Well, I, I'm good. I'm good with language. You know, I'm good at like pushing the boundaries on language, being stylist through language. So a lot of the flavor of the, of the structure of the, what the plot, how the plot takes came from working within the restrictions of a lower budget film. Absolutely. And so, you know, like the idea that there's this tangle world, that was an idea I had. Great. And then I was like, well, who are these who are these people who, who we don't have to go out into the see the tangle all the time? You know, well, these people are like off the tangle. That, that whole probably came out. I can't remember exactly, but I'm sure that came from partly trying to solve the puzzle of a low budget movie in a big sci-fi world. How long did it take you to write this script? You know, it was pretty brief. I can't really know. I, I can say we were shooting about six months after I started. So, Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. I'm impressed. Color me impressed as a slow writer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here's a, 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 a review that I saw on your Instagram page. Yeah. It says uh, from Dakota Dahl. It's a mystery. It's a science fiction exploration of transhumanism. It's a whole lot more. The tangle defies classification, but the only thing that is certain is that you'll love it. Uh, let's talk about transhumanism a second. Sure. In. I mean, first, I think we need to let's tag team and define it. Um, yeah, great. Uh, that's not a word I really use, but I know what she means. Uh, the word yeah. sing, the word is singularity is the word I that was probably the thing that was in my mind the most as the sci-fi concept that sort mm-hmm. of I started working with with this script. And the singularity is this idea for for those who don't know um, that will hit a point where well think about it this way: technology technological um, advancement is speeding up at an exponential rate. So you know if you lived in the 18th century, you'd probably recognize uh, you know. Uh, So you were 1750, 100 years later, 1850, you'd probably walk around and go, yeah, I understand this. This is life. This is the same as it was. You go from 1850 to 1950, then you're like, whoa, that's a little bit, you know. Now you go 1950 to 1970, and you're already like, whoa, things are, you know, changing. And it gets faster and faster to the point where, you know, Facebook was 10, 15 years ago. You know, technology is is speeding up and speeding up and speeding up. Yeah. And that's represented ultimately in the idea of the singularity in artificial intelligence to the point where we get an artificial intelligence that's smarter than we are. Mm-hmm. So now we've sped up to the point where we've got an artificial intelligence, but now it can design things even faster than we were designing them. And now it sort of it's almost like technology leaps outside of our bounds of our control and it just starts going off on its own at an exponential rate. So there's a there's a there's a phase phase transition at the singularity where humans start living in a technological world that is no longer theirs. And you have a great name for it. The tangle is such a cool word for that was that was that what you were trying to do is that the the is that where the the title came from like this is i have no recollection where that came from but yeah it just was a feel i'm sure it was just a feel of what of a like cool name for it yeah so singularity uh as a meditation teacher do you have any sort of conflict around this idea of the singularity in terms of in terms of for for personal growth not really. I think of them as separate, you know, but, but as a, 
you know, meditation as a tool in everyday life is one thing, but we use, we really think of meditation as a, as a tool ultimately for getting to some kind of spiritual truth or, or the truth about our natures. And I don't think that will really change no matter what the technological world is. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I think it's just because I'm an old guy now. I'm having a hard time thinking that general AI is, is that, that we're on the horizon, you know, yeah. for the singularity. I just, I just feel like, like I get it. I love the idea of sci-fi. And a lot of people, especially up in you know Silicon Valley, disagree. Like, no, man, it's going to be here any day. And, right. you know, I, I recently had my second vaccine. And I think that's the one that has the Bill Gates chip in it. <laughs> right, right, right. Turning me into partial AI. I get that. Just do this podcast over the Bill Gates chip because I'm I'm second. I'm a fully vaccinated too. Oh, are you? Yeah. Well, he's been. You know, I've I've uh, I was going to have a Bill Bill Gates joke, but yeah, I'm not. We're going to lay off the divorce jokes for Bill Gates. Yeah, divorce is always sad. Sorry, Bill. Sorry, Melinda. You know, good luck to you both. I I don't know. Divorce isn't always sad. You know, might might be the appropriate thing. Who knows. Could be. Um, I should have Bill Gates on just to talk about divorce. You should. You know, a super nice divorce. I would love it if you're like, hey, Chris, I'm going to get off now. I got a call. I'm going to call. I, got I don't even need to pick up the phone. It's it's in yeah. the chip. Right. It's, it's in the tangle. When did you know that you were going to be able to do this? You know, that you were going to make the leap of faith and become a writer and a maker of, of, of visual stories? Um. I, uh, my whole life, I guess, I just, uh, I, I, okay. I was fortunate to grow up in a family of artists. So it just felt doable and feasible. I was always overconfident in a lot of ways. So I always was creating things. You know, I went and got a PhD in philosophy. I studied physics. I was a professor for a while, but I was always creating. I was writing and doing other things. And I just, that's always where my heart has been in creativity. Uh, so that's always been around. I, I don't I don't know. There's been different leaps of faith, you know, okay, we're going to make a feature or, okay, I'm going to stop teaching at a university and I'm going to go do this acting job. Or, you know, there's been different moments where I shifted gears and uh, it's not been without a lot of challenge. It's a very challenging kind of life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's always been there. And I think, honestly, I, I, I would say that's probably the only reason you should do that kind of stuff is if you just sort of have to be doing it because it's an, it's definitely a challenging career orient, you know, orientation, if that's a thing. Oh, you were talking yeah. about general AI though. We were going to say something oh. like that. Oh no, I just, oh, it's something yeah. that, that when it comes up, when the, when the singularity, every now and then you'll meet a singularity acolyte and I just find myself feeling a bit like a cantankerous Luddite. Like, yeah, I get you in the sci-fi way, but I'm not seeing it happening. I'm probably wrong. I mean, I totally understand that. It was partly because, I think it's partly because you and I did grow up with sci-fi and they were like, I grew up with Asimov, right? So oh, yeah. from the 50s, Absolutely. it was going to be like, artificial intelligence was going to be right around the corner for a long time. So we're, you know, we've gotten, you know, uh, jaded. But um, I will say exponential growth is really hard for humans to capture. I was, you know, Jessica... To, to not talk too much about the pandemic, but last February, I was like, Jessica, I was like, and I'm not a negative. I'm not like, I'm not like, oh, bad things are coming. I'm a very positive person. But I was like, this, uh, this is probably going to be a problem, you know, and it's just because I was looking at a graph, an exponential graph. And unless you stop and slow down and think about it, humans don't think in exponential growth. So this thing, which had nobody, as you can see with Donald Trump, right, there's, there's 10 people have it. It's not gonna be a problem. It's 10 people. Yeah, 10 people turns into everybody really quick. So 
I think the same thing could happen with AI. I think it's it's hard to know how to measure that. Like it really could be. It really could be. We just you just hit a you just hit a curve and things speed up. And I really think I, I think any time in the next fifty years, I would be unsurprised if something jump took a level jump. Yeah. No. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I think for me, it just comes down to that basic human. Like we have our preferred worldview. It doesn't yeah. have anything to do with logic. It's just like that's not my preferred world. So no. Eh. When you're talking about your your sort of idea on back in February about the plague, and then you're talking about Asimov, it recalled that wonderful experience reading the foundation. Was it a trilogy or a quadrology? It's a trilogy, I think, right? I mean, it ended up being like yeah. 15 books, but yeah. Yeah, but the original, the original trilogy, yeah. This concept has never left me that um, um, Harry Seldon. Yeah. Harry Seldon was was this. Yeah, exactly. You know, he got all the data and he could predict with incredible accuracy. Yeah. Um, the future. Yeah. Right. And this is something that from there, you know, Buckminster Fuller thought that, you know, we could also assemble a bunch of data and make this predictive modeling, you know, and and that was both of them looking back like that's where AI would help out a lot. Yeah, right? this is what they were sort of talking about in a way. Like, I, if I recall, wasn't Harry Seldon's data collection? It wasn't just him looking at books. He had some sort of powerful computers that helped him uh, do a bunch of analyzation, right? You know, I don't remember the computer yeah. part of that. I don't know. I don't either. Or was he just a, a mega mega mind? Uh, it was a theory. Mm. I actually don't remember the part about the computers. No, because remember they had the psycho historians. I think there were like yeah. a bunch of people. I think, no, I think you're right though. This idea of big data, which wasn't really there in the Asimov you know, world when he was writing right. that stuff. That's how we would end up doing something like that would be, you know, something, again, we wouldn't be able to, you can't do it deterministically. You have to do it with some kind of complex, uh, non-linear mathematics which we're really bad at so yeah we can't do it for climate and we're trying we're yeah. putting all the power where they're just doing climate let alone billions of humans and their individual actions and you know likelihoods yeah right. um anyway something for maybe you to to jump on is directing the foundation trilogy you might well, want i think there is a tv series i think apple tv is doing a tv series no. i think it got delayed during uh the pandemic so it should be coming out uh, I'm, I'm not stoked with apple doing something like that because they have so many sort of restrictions and, and moral codes in their, in their programming that they, you know, I, I, I'd wanted to see, I, I'd, I'd want somebody else to make it, but that's okay. Apple's kind of Disney-esque and I don't think you're going to get a, a real great deep dive uh, by either one of those companies, but maybe that's just me, you know? Probably. Yeah. We'll see. Foundation yeah. isn't too edgy. Yeah. So I think, I think they shouldn't be, they wouldn't have to restrict it too much. So. I remember it differently. I remember foundation having like a lot of sex scenes and a lot of drugs. Am I, am I thinking of a different, Different, uh, <laughs> maybe. I don't maybe it depends on age you want or you write it. <laughs> totally get it. Yeah. So, these series of leaps of faith that you made, you're like, hey, I'm not going to do teaching anymore. Yeah. I'm going to do this. And, and do you feel in retrospect that you sort of failed forward or did you stop and go, hey, this is a moment where I have a real passion here? I have a passion here. I'm super passionate about teaching, yeah. but it's not as big as this other thing. Did you wrestle for a while? Was it an all of a sudden thing? Do you have a Do you have a pattern in your life when you've made these transitions, or have they all been different scenarios? I know I'm asking you to assess a lot of your life at once, but let's see what you can do. Well, just that particular choice. I mean, I think I never really planned on being. I never planned on academia being a career. I sort of did it because I was interested in 
the topics. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was fascinated by it and it sort of carried me forward for a while because it was like a job and I had finished my PhD and I might as well get a job. And I didn't, I didn't try very hard to get a job. And that, that sounds, honestly, if you've been in academia, that sounds really childish or uh, what's snobby or something. Cause if you've gotten a PhD, you're desperate to find a job. You know what I mean? And I didn't try very hard and I was able to get a job and then get another job and then I get another job for a little while. Uh, but it was never what I was trying to do. So I, I was already one foot out the door in a many, in many ways. I was the first year I was doing my PhD, I was writing a novel. The last year I was doing my dissertation, I was making my first feature film, which nobody has seen, but which was like my film school, you know? So I was always, I was always half, half out of it as I was doing it. Teaching on the other hand, yeah, I've been doing that my whole life. And, uh, that's, I, I didn't, wasn't satisfied by teaching at the academic level just because, you see students like twice a week, it's only like 1% of them are really engaged. You know, even if you're, you know, they can be entertained, but that's not the same thing as, you know, really in being part of their, their growth and meditation teaching. It really satisfies that for me. It really, I feel really connected with my students and get to see amazing growth that, you know, satisfies that, that connection. You know, How did that happen for you? When, at what point in your life did you, when did you realize, hey, man, I need to meditate? Like, <laughs> when, did it, when did it even start for you? So that's a switch of conversation, but it's also similar. I was always interested in the, in the questions, the big questions. That's why I did physics and philosophy. So I was interested in like, what's the, what's the, where are we? What is the world we're in? What is this place? What is, what have we found ourselves in? I get it. Uh, and, and I was always interested in how does one live? Like, how, and that was really came from my grandfather. He was, he was big into that question. He was like one of the first self-help speakers, you know, back in the sixties, he would go to corporations and stuff. So that question of how do you live a good life? And like, what does that mean? That was something I was just, uh, since a, a teenager, I was always interested in. And, and at first that was through philosophy, but even as I was doing that, I was, I was trying different things, different types of therapy, different types of things that you could call meditation, but weren't really strictly classical meditation. And really, I didn't start seriously daily meditating until I met Jessica, which because she, she was really deeply into it. And it, uh, I think it partly draw, drew us together because we were both drawn to that same idea. And that, yeah, that, that, that's when that came into my life. And I started really going down one particular path in, in answering that question. Yeah. So that wasn't that wasn't too long ago then that you really got into this. Yeah, it's been you, about ten years. Yeah. yeah. When did you start teaching? And because you do various classes, you do beginner's mind. You do workshops with Jessica, right? Mm-hmm. Am I yep. remembering? Yep. Yeah. So when did that? What, what kind of classes are you offering? And and where do people find them? It's all changing. And my, Jessica is much more has is much more established as a teacher in this mm-hmm. sense. Like that's that's part of her career. You know, she's a yeah. meditation writer, and I, I'm sort of doing it because it feels like I'm called to do it. I don't I don't push it very much. I can feel there's a transition coming on where I'll probably. I have a number of ideas and I might make it a little bit, might put more effort into it. I'm actually taking this month off. I I usually teach three times a week, just different kinds of different classes, 10 a.m. on Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. And yeah, Jessica and I will teach retreats and we'll teach workshops. And, um, you know, that again, I'm just a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I, you know, I learned something when I was in, in undergrad, I, they, they hired me to, to be the TA for the physics class. And I was like, like a semester ahead of the students. I was like, what is going on here? You know what I mean? But I realized, though, as long as I'm like a half a page ahead on the answer book, I can, I'm actually a good teacher. Like I can help people move forward. And right. so I, I feel like that's, it's a little more, I've had some pretty big experiences and transitions and, 
education and meditation. So I'm not just a half a page ahead most of the time, sometimes, sometimes. But, it, you know, it was in pretty early on that I started, you know, uh, yeah, teaching classes, filling in for Jessica and then teaching my own classes. Yeah. I find breath work pretty interesting. I, I keep getting drawn to engage in it. I mean, 20 years ago, I think I, I bought my first book on, on breathing. And in those 20 years, I've done nothing other than, you know, take breathing for granted because it's, it's part of our, what our, is it our autonomic nervous system? Yep. The right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I went to school. I went to school <laughs> once, uh, but we can take some control of it, right? We can do active breathing. We can make it a practice for people that aren't familiar with you know, like what's breath work. I'm, I'm already breathing. You know, what's the difference between our automatic breathing and something that's, that's more contemplative. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm actually not a breathwork teacher. I, I can talk about that for a little bit. I just want people to know I'm not like an expert on breathwork or anything. It's okay. And there's it's different awesome. different types of breathwork. So sometimes when people mean breathwork, they're talking about a very specific kind of, um, it's almost fast breathing. It's a kind of hy- almost hyperventilation that has a, can have a pretty big effects on the nervous system. Um, I'm not going to talk about that because I really know very little bit of about it but what i will that's why you're having a baby right that's for having babies (laughs) that's for having a baby we we know what that one is right 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 um so no it's just you know the breath is this um this is what i'll say about it the breath is this unique not totally unique but relatively unique part of our uh life which is generally run autonomically but you can control it so it gives you a way to talk directly to your nervous system so when you breathe out, your parasympathetic nervous system turns on. Your parasympathetic nervous system is digest, rest, relax. When you breathe in, your sympathetic nervous system turns on. Your sympathetic nervous system is act, fight, flight, you know, get ready to do something. So just that, just in that, there's more, it's more complex than that, of course. But just in thinking about those two things, for instance, if you just sit and breathe in for four and breathe out for eight, you are spending more time in the parasympathetic nervous system. There's almost nobody I know that if they can do that without it being too um, problematic for them, their system will start to calm down. It's just that simple. You're directly talking to parts of your nervous system that usually act automatically. And for most of us, we're trained, the civilization, culture, schooling, uh, advertising, turns on our sympathetic nervous system, overstimulates our nervous system, overstimulates the stress parts of our nervous system. So we, to have a way to access and tell the nervous system to calm down without having to take drugs, without having to do anything, just counting your breaths or something that simple is really powerful. Yeah, I guess when you are surprised by something, we typically take a deep breath. Yeah. Right? That would make sense. So you think somebody like the Dalai Lama could just do like, no breathing in and just all breathing out? Like if you get spiritual <laughs> enough? Um, I think that would work? Well, just a thought. I mean, it's, no, a, no, it's a very interesting you know? thought. Um, I mean, obviously, so I get I get in trouble in the meditation world, in my in my own world, because I, I'm so deep into meditation. I've seen so many weird things, but I'm also a very, like I did physics. I'm a very Western scientific minded person. But so yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely, uh, Lots of reports of people who can train their breath to essentially not move. You know, they can just take a breath every hour or something. Um, mm-hmm. I can tell you from personal experience, I'll get into deep states of meditation and it will feel like I'm not breathing. 
I am breathing. If I pay really, it almost feels like I'm breathing through my pores. I'm not saying I am, but it's almost like the breath is coming in so slowly that I can't tell which, if it's an out breath, if it's an in breath, like I, it's the, the system has gotten that quiet. Wow. Um, so that's doable. Yeah. I don't think you can yeah. out technically my Western mind kicks in. It's like, you can't out breath forever because you only got a finite amount of breath in you, but you could have your nervous system being parasympathetic for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. But you're just assuming that, you know, we need oxygen and once you're chipped, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Right. You know, once you're chipped up, I'm not sure that we still, it reminds me, uh, I used to, um, pretend to play clarinet and there was this goal of circular breathing that the yeah, great yeah. jazz musicians like Eric Dolphy and others could put on. And when you're trying to do circular breathing, you really get to understand how much work you need to do to take control of your breathing. I've heard, I, what is circuit? What is it actually? I know what it, I know what people talk about. What is actually happening? I, I, I think it was, well, it's, it's basically, I mean, what's actually happening physically or yeah, what the goal like, is musically. Cause musically you're trying to basically not break a note. Right, right. Right. So you're always, you're, you're breathing out. Like you can see what I'm doing. Yeah. You're breathing out at the same time that you're breathing in. But I think what you're doing, y'all, y'all can feedback here. Uh, just message us. I think what they're doing is they're kind of doing little puffs of air out during their mouth yeah uh, out of their mouth while, while they're sneaking the while they're sneaking in the, the the nasal breath yeah so during that moment of sneaking it in they're not really breathing out got it they're got just it. pushing forward air that's in the mouth and yeah, then they're sneaking in a new lungful and then breathing out yeah, I also wonder if that's sort of what's happening when I'm sitting so like when again when I feel like I'm, I don't breathe for a long time I'm just like what's happened? I've stopped breathing. Like what's going on here? You know what I mean? And I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm so quiet that my mind isn't really activated about it, but it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, so I wondered if there was like breath going in and out at the same time, or, you know, I have no idea what's going on physically. It's tough stuff. I would just usually end up passed out on the floor when I would try to do my circular breathing stuff. And I would wake up realizing that that was probably not the, so I probably I would say wrong. this is not yeah. something for anyone to try to do. Like that just happens to me automatically, but the yeah. just extending your out breath, you could try that. And there's a number of breathing patterns, which just really simple. And there's more complex things, of course, but really simple that it's such a quick way to calm down your nervous system. Absolutely. Um, I was wondering if, as as a, a writer and director in 2021, do you blend at all your work as a as a writer, actor, director with your work doing meditation? Do you invite people in at all, like your cast, to like learn about that stuff, or do you keep it all very separate? Um, well, it's almost impossible to keep it totally separate. Um, and definitely, Jessica and I both believe we've been on a lot of movie sets there's really different ways they can be. They're usually fairly high stress environments. And so we really try to, you know, slow down a little bit. I think it's been proven that slowing down often gets you where you're going quicker. If you, you know, you make less mistakes and you have a better time and you don't get burned out. And so Jessica will generally lead a meditation on her sets and stuff. So that's, that's part of it in a more specific way though. My next movie that I'm, that I'm most excited about is a, is a, I would call it a meditation thriller right now. So it's, I am, I do feel like I am called right now a number of my projects. I've gotten a bunch of projects that I've already finished that are back in more just sci-fi world, but a number of my future projects seem to be starting to move into the meditation, spiritual journey kind of world. And uh, that really is really exciting to me. That's a new genre, the meditation thriller. Well, I'm just, well, yeah, meditation thrillers are really a new genre, but I actually think even like 
there's just not a lot of spiritual is a bad word. So it's not, there's just, there's a big chunk of people that are interested in meditation or interested in, and I mean, I'm very kind of scientific meditation person, but there's a bunch of people that are interested in, like you said, esoteric or new age or all that stuff. And it really isn't catered to very much in the mainstream entertainment world. As far as I can tell, I'm sure I, mean, I know, of course, there's examples, but it feels like that's a huge chunk of audience that isn't being talked to. And I, I'm talking about sort of here in a business way. But for me, it's just now what I'm interested in. And it feels like I that's what I want to talk about. So, yeah, it's a it's a meditation thriller. It maybe you know, it's it's like a, like ex machina, but with meditation, kind of that kind of flavor of movie. Yeah. Do you guys ever watch Undone on Amazon? It's uh, Richard Linklater. You know, he did Waking Life. Yeah, I know. That yeah, one? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Undone is uh, an Amazon TV show. It's again, it's also rotoscoping. It's oh, okay. so beautiful, but it, it gets into some of these, these subjects that you said you don't see a lot of. Highly recommend checking out Undone. I do. I, now that you're saying this, I do think I saw it, but I don't remember anything about it. Oh, yeah. We, we did watch that. Yeah. I remember nothing about it except liking it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You liked it. There we go. Yeah. All right. I, mean, I like anyway. Linklater a lot, so oh, I'm remembering more and more now. But I have my memory is really bad now. Like things just go in and out. I, I think there's a there's a COVID memory lapse for a lot of us too. Yeah, that's possible. That's definitely possible. Yeah, and it's definitely there is something a little bit with the meditation thing. I don't want to say people your memory gets bad when you meditate, but certain <laughs> certain point you stop caring about certain things, so you stop holding on to them. You know, just let them go. Well, there's priority of information, right? Yeah, yeah. Like what, what is truly important? Yeah. Uh, speaking of what's truly important, what's your nicer world? Uh, the goal of the Super Nice Club, as naive and, and, and wild as it sounds, is to make the world 10% nicer, right? Where would you start? I'm going to guess. I think I have a guess. But where would you start with, with making the world a nicer place? Actually, you probably aren't going to guess this. It's, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I like meditation and I, I like art and all that stuff. I actually, what I'm really excited, interested about now is what I would, what's sort of called nonviolent communication. And so to put this in the meditation terms, I just believe connection is the thing that heals everything. So there's ways that we talk that it's like a technology, you know, we can learn that enhances and encourages connection, you know, as opposed to a lot of what happens like on Twitter or, you know, Facebook, which encourages disconnection. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about, spreading a technology where we can learn to have difficult conversations, be vulnerable, be interested and curious in, in what other what others are going through. I think it's a sort of inevitable development. It's like one of those technologies that once it catches on, it's better. It's just like, you know, we don't go walk around and punch each other in the face because that doesn't work anymore in civilization. Right? I mean, I'm sure I know there are still parts where it does, but, right. um, you know, you just sort of start going, well, that's not that, that no longer feels acceptable. And I do think, you know, to get online and just say that dumbass, da, 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 like I'm hoping in 40 years, that just doesn't feel acceptable. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like, well, that's not, but that's totally useful. What are you doing? You know? And uh, so I think that's what I would say, uh, learning to like talk to each other and be vulnerable. That, that could make the world a lot better. I, I really agree with that. And what you were talking about, you know, there's this promise of the interwebs as being this connective tissue and a future uh, podcast guest, I hope, Douglas Rushkoff, wrote a book called Team Human, where he talks about that. He talks about social media and, and other parts of the Internet. Instead of unifying us like we thought, they actually divide us into these tiny, tiny, tiny little niche tribes. Right. And so we're we're much more fractured 
than we used to be. Um, I did guess it correctly. The, folks, ah. you can't see this, but I'm going to hold my palm up and it says NVC connection. <laughs> In Sharpie, you see that on there? That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I totally guessed it. Well, that's totally all skill you should be marketing. <laughs> I, I know, I know. But, you know, then people, people come at you. They do. Like when they know that you're the new Harry Seldon. Yeah. It's uh, there's no amount of money. Uh, and you don't people, you, folks, you don't want to know how your life is going to what turn out. Like, it's yeah. totally disempowering. Yes. So I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from you, even though I already know yeah. Christopher, I already know your story. It's, uh, it's a mixed bag, but mostly great. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good guarantee. It's going to be a mixed bag. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like this idea of connectivity. It's something I think about a lot as well. This, the reconnection with each other, with our natural world. I think most of us feel it deeply. Yeah. I think most of us that don't know that we're, that, that aren't very well connected. Like I know that I'm not, yeah. I know that I can be better connected. It's we're human. We natively feel whether or not we're connected to each other and to the world around us. Even if we're covering it up with all kinds of distractions, we know it's there. And when you said it, a lot of people out there, I know it resonated with them. All right. We're going to get to the part of the podcast where you get to issue a super nice challenge to the, the listeners, ah. the members of the Super Nice Club, something they can do to make their world and the world a little bit nicer. You got something? Uh, yeah. So a super nice challenge. I don't know how big to make the challenge. Something small, but like, yeah, I'll give you levels that you could use. Okay. So it could just be five minutes a day. Just five minutes. Five minutes is not very much. It's amazing how much we can do in five minutes. Five minutes a day. Just want you to be present with your sensory experience. And I'll talk about, I can talk about it a little bit more, but that's all, that's all I would, I would, I would challenge you to do that and just see how different you feel. So what's your sensory experience? Um, I would just avoid if you're having pain or you're having some particular discomfort in your body, don't use that as your object for this. Focus on everything else. But because if, if there's pain there, you're already focusing on that. We don't need to do that anymore. So five minutes a day, you, you could use your eyes. You just look out and you actually see the colors that are in your visual field right now. See the objects, but don't think of them as objects. Think of them as colors and light and shape and movement movement basic things basic visual phenomena forget your stories have your sensory experience you could do it in the sound world you could do it right now as you're listening to the podcast you can listen to my voice but listen to it as music rather than trying to understand what i'm saying you can hear there's pitch changes there's rhythm changes there's pauses there's starts, mm. there's loudness and softness. So we start to tune into the sensory experience, not our mental idea of the experience, but the sensory experience. We could do it with our physical touch. We're washing the dishes. Again, yeah, you have to accomplish the cleaning of the dishes, but can you be interested in how the, the I mean, with washing the dishes, you could do sight and sound as well, but also you could be, how does the water feel on your hands? How does the temperature change feel? How does the, the smoothness feel? How does the sponge feel? Uh, you could feel it when you're driving there, you can feel your steering wheel or just your seat underneath you as you're sitting, listening to this or whatever. Hmm. Um, that's what I would challenge you. Five minutes a day. Uh, and eventually you can do it uh, 24 hours a day. <laughs> move, move out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that a lot. And, you know, you can sneak these moments too, folks. Like uh, uh, when you're waiting for your coffee, 
instead of like picking up your phone and distracting yourself with social media, listen to the coffee shop. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I have a phrase, when in doubt, focus out. So focusing out means, you know, which it sounds like the opposite of meditation because it's all about inward, right? But yeah, no. you know, just look look out and have your actual experience rather than your mental experience. Yeah, they're all, they're all just sort of, um, you know, uh, impressions in our consciousness, right? Yeah. Inward, outward. Yeah. Um, I like what you were saying earlier too, which is uh, slow down to speed up. That's mm-hmm. another important one you know when you're especially when you're bombed with work and you just feel frazzled just slow down take out a pen and write things instead of the instead of typing them and be amazed how quickly mm-hmm. your brain will, will sort things nicely and neatly once again mm-hmm. um slow down to speed up look look out to look in um let's come up with some more well these these wouldn't be considered koans they're not mysterious enough these are just things that you put up on Instagram with clouds behind them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing I think people don't realize is that, so I'll give you another little like nugget, is that pleasure is not, we think of pleasure as an external thing that's given to us, but pleasure is our response to our world. So pleasure is determined by your attitude towards the experience you're having. So if you are just desiring the experience you're having, you're going to have pleasure. Whatever it is. That's why some people like chocolate cake and some people don't. There's different desires. It's not the chocolate cake flavor changes. And so when you desire to feel your dishes that you're washing, you will in, you will have pleasure from that experience. When you desire to see the leaves on the trees, you will, you will get pleasure out of the experience. So pleasure is available all the time, anywhere, as long as you're willing to attend to the actual experience you're having. I love that. Yeah, the, the fulfillment of desire. You just have to choose your desires and they don't have to be... It can be small. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Okay, so, and then lastly, the guest, you're the guest, mm. gets to ask a question, gets to, like it's an honor. Mm. Uh, the, 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 the guest has offered the chance to ask a question of me. Mm. You know, any question you want, you get to be the host for a second. Okay, cool. Um, well, I can ask any question I want. Mm. It's your show. It's your show now. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I always like to get, like I said, I like to get, uh, here's what I'll offer you. As the host of the show, um, I'll give you one more question after I ask this question. So that if you want to like, so um, I'll give you a, a rating. You don't have to go all the way to the, the highest scale, just like I did with the five minutes versus 24 hours. So I, I would love to know just sometime you felt vulnerable in the last year. And um it could be the most vulnerable or it could be something a little less, a little less vulnerable. Because I don't want you, I want you to feel safe to share whatever, you know, whatever it is. Well, I'll tell you, as an alpha male, I don't feel vulnerable. <laughs> right, right. Uh, oh boy. Uh, I think like a lot of folks, the last year of COVID has, has made me question a lot of things. It made me feel vulnerable um, in a lot of ways. I'm trying to think, you know, more specifically yeah, was there a moment in that in the COVID experience where you're where you're like, oh, I don't feel, I, f- I feel more exposed than I normally do, uh, to either danger or to just other people? Or no, I've I've felt very exposed in the past year uh, in terms of just sort of the classic things like you know being able to to uh, take care of my family. What are these classic roles as yeah. a man? You know, and and when I say as a man, classic, I mean traditional. I don't mean yeah. the right. I just mean like growing up in the late. All these qualifiers that we need to offer now, so that you know people understand that we get it. 
it's been at times really hard for me. It's been, I have felt reduced. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I have felt smaller. I've allowed myself to feel reduced. Mm -hmm. I've allowed myself to feel smaller because I haven't been succeeding in the ways that I had hoped when I made a big life decision to move to Los Angeles in December of 2019. And then COVID hits, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when you move, it's it's one of those those pillars of life, you know, one of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, where you live, your work, your love life, things like that. You know, some people say there's a tripod, others say it's a chair, whatever. But one of those legs gets wobbly for a moment. And then COVID hits, and then the career thing started to shake a little. And as a writer, I mean, you know, like career is always kind of like project to project, right? Right. And the process of all that started to, I allowed myself to get reduced, I, uh, more anxious, more on edge, uh, less me than I'd known for a while and not proud of that. And it was sort of, it's sort of just the fact that I wasn't happy with, with, where I was going made me accelerate that process, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, and um, of late, I've been really coming to terms with that and saying, okay, it's enough of this. Mm -hmm. It's enough of this. I've had to, you know, have discussions with with my partner and say, hey, I, I haven't been at my best and I'm really sorry about that. And the the vulnerable part for me is that I have been able to put my finger on why not. You know, like there are different periods in, in my life when I've been knocked off my stride. That's normal. We, we go through these periods. But usually I've been able to say, oh, I know why. Yeah. And then I can go back and kind of do the work. Yeah. So, as, you know, this time I've, I've just kind of had to tell her like, hey, I'm not sure yet what it is. I don't want to just blame it on COVID. Right. Uh, that's too pat. Like, I'm not quite sure. And so I can't really make really a strong promise to you that I'm going to be able to go in, make an assessment and just, you know, be better. Yeah. Like this is, this is something where I'm in the process of even figuring out what the thorn is yeah. or where it is, yeah. you know, in my paw, so to speak. And that's been hard for me. Uh, these are conversations that are very fresh and current. I'm very confident that I'm going to figure it out, Yeah. but because I can't quite spot it yet, yeah. even though I've been, sort of plumbing my depths um it's made me very vulnerable yeah yeah uh, and and insecure yeah which which is not a great place to be it's not an attractive place to be mm. you know um but yeah that's the sort of the uh, you know this is like that's an essence of being vulnerable and and especially for those of us that are a little more mental like not knowing like not knowing what's where we're like what's wrong or what we need to do that's a very, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm actually, I've actually been going through some similar stuff where it's just like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And so I can't address it because I don't know what's going on. So right. what, what the experience is, and this is actually in the spiritual world, this is actually considered a really good sign is when you, if you can hang out in the uncertainty and the confusion, because that's a place that really starts to open up your idea of who you are, because you think you know who you are, but now you're a little confused. And that actually gives you an opportunity to really grow into something, the next thing, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. this is part of our conversation, too, is that I'm just really looking forward to 
moving through this, not past it, yeah, but you know, moving through it, learning the lessons because I have a, this is a real great, you know, it's always great growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to minimize the collateral damage, mm-hmm. you know, as you thrash about in the chaos. Mm-hmm. And that's just with clear communication, like, Hey, I know I'm thrashing around. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe back Beautiful. up a little bit. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. Great question. Great, great question. Answer. Yeah. Thank you. for You're Great host. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really, yeah. I feel more connected again. Vulnerability is amazing power. And in this case, you, you are the vulnerable one. So, uh, you know, you, you get all the applause, but like vulnerability connects people immediately. It really does. I mean, obviously there's cases where people don't want to take it in and they can't, but, uh, but, if you get the right level of vulnerability, it will it will make people immediately connect to you. And a lot of the big movements of our time have been like Me Too is an example of that. Just people being mm-hmm. vulnerable and suddenly everyone's perspective has to change. You know? Yeah, it does. When you see people uh, with the Me Too, when you see people being incredibly brave uh, at cost to them, yep. at least you know uh, in the moment, obviously the long term hopefully is very beneficial. You really have to take them seriously yeah. and reassess a lifetime of generalizations that you've been making or just wrongheadedness, right? So anyway, Instagram, you are Christopher Soren Kelly. Uh, What's the Tangle website? What's the best place for the site? For Tangle? Uh, there's a website I think called the Tanglemovie.com. Mm-hmm. And you can also just follow it on Instagram at the Tangle, I believe. And uh, it'll be in the show notes, everybody. I'll, I'll get it right. If he's yeah. if he's forgetting his own um, I'm very bad at that movie. Yeah. At that it's because he meditates. I can't remember anything. It's because um, I just trust Google now. I'm just like, why do I need to right? remember? Just Google. We've offloaded this. This <laughs> yeah. is the beginning of the singularity. <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris, really, thank you for your time. Thank I you. look forward to uh, whatever's next. What is next? You gonna you got another movie that you're gonna direct? Anything cooking up yet? I know it's kind of early. You just put this one out a month ago but like you said that's a long time ago for you yeah right well so uh I, there's a short film coming out which is which is super meditation oriented it, it i mean you wouldn't know that necessarily but it's a it's a film i'm really proud of it's called behemoth and uh, it'll come out soon i really i really would love people to watch it and i do think it's a short film uh worth watching um it's called behemoth and yeah and i'm writing this meditation thriller you know i actually I'll put it out here now i'm i'm trying to it's got about three really juicy roles, and I'm I'm trying to move up a level in in um, production budget for this for this next film. So I am sort of targeting some meditation oriented actors, you know, that would be interested in really great roles. So anybody who knows somebody who wants to read a meditation uh, script, that's you know, there are not a lot of them out there. So uh, you know, I'm that's what's going to be next. I'm really excited about it. So Russell Brand is in your next film. Yeah, right, right. Here. Great. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, right, Great. Right, right. Um, when you get the information, when, when Behemoth is released, let me know. We'll we'll shout it out to okay, the, the Super Nice Club members, and, and we'll get behind you. We're fans, right, Super Nice Club members? We're fans. Watch the film. Watch the tangle. Love to know what you think. Tag us. Uh, tag tag Chris, Christopher Soren Kelly, and um, follow this guy. Follow this guy. Go back and listen also to his his partner, Jessica Graham's podcast as well. And she explores a lot more of the meditation and uh, the, the the great work that she's doing and, and her writing work as well. So check out that podcast. It's like it's the it's the prequel mm-hmm. to this one right here. All right. Thanks for your time. Really Thank appreciate you. you. Yeah, that was fantastic. And so there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice Christopher Soren Kelly. 
the big takeaway for me here is that Chris works with what he's got and does so much with it, right? He's a great writer. He's a great actor. He's surrounded by talent. He can conjure a whole new universe, a whole universe in his mind and create it and write it, visualize it, see it. Yeah, he might not have the giant Hollywood budget, but what he does have is everything else. And so he maximizes what he's got. And guess what happens? He goes from idea to boom, finished movie. Not just any movie, but a movie that holds its own as a storytelling piece with anything out there right now. That's amazing, right? So the takeaway here is you can kind of do the same with whatever your passion is. I hope that's your takeaway. I hope you feel fired up. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a writer. It doesn't matter what you may be. You're a restaurateur, right? You don't have the money to open up a restaurant. The money's out there. If you've got the talent and you've got the idea and you know where the space is in your town, you know where the, the opportunity is, you'll get the investment, whatever your project is. Anyway, I uh, loved it. Loved the fact that Chris also has this meditation practice. Inspired me to get back into mine more deeply because for me, I can really tell the difference when I have a practice daily. It's a difference maker in my relationships with others, but mostly with my relationship with myself, my ability to listen and see myself as I move through the world. Make sense to you? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It does to me. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, please pass it around. Spread the word. Share the love. Would really appreciate it. Uh, and next week, next week, we have a really, really awesome really special guest, the founder of the Free Range Kids movement, Lenore Scanese. And uh, she's just going to talk to us about how great it is to have your kids kind of not be chained to their desks or helicoptered by helicopter parents. Let them go roam. It's okay for them to walk a few blocks on their own or even a few miles. You know, it's not as dangerous as we think. And it's so good for them to be trusted. It has wild psychological benefits and wild psychological damage when your kids are not trusted and when they live in a culture of fear. It's not super nice. So tune in next week, even if that makes you cringe thinking, ah, I would never let my kid walk across the street by themselves. It's okay. You don't have to, but just listen. Maybe it'll be instructive. Until then, stay nice, everyone. And all we 
is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice Just become 10% more nice